0: Hey, this is Matthew Ma. Welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. Today, we're talking with Martin Sanchez, an expert in note investing. Martin brings social good into smart investing as the managing partner of BeQuest Funds. Welcome to the show, Martin. Glad to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Matthew.
0: You know, great. I was just talking to you at first, and I really wanted to dive in and learn more about you, how you got into real estate, and how you got into note investing, and why that made you made that move instead of generally, like, you know, buying single family homes, fix, fix and flips, wholesaling. How did you get into note investing? But first off, let's talk about how did you get into real estate?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I'd say it's about, about 2004, I was uh, fired from a corporate job. And, uh, you know, my wife and I really went on a per- lifelong pursuit to kind of learn as much as possible about um, real estate investing, about entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, one of the things we really learned about is that um, it's great to get into real estate, but you need some some form of cash flow and, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to to sustain an operation over time. So uh, we opened up a small business. We founded a government contracting company in 05. And, um, you know, from that point, I just continued learning about real estate and we bought our first commercial space in 09 that we still own. And um, and uh, we operated our company out of there. We bought the neighboring building, and uh, from that point, we just started buying real estate as a buy and hold play. And and to date, I have not rehabbed one home, so <laughs> I actually I don't know too much about that side of the business. Um, but in 2013, we sold the government contracting company, and uh, I, I I recognized that that landlording wasn't um, fulfilling my financial aspirations quick, as quick as I would have liked. And maybe it was because of the operator itself. I, you know, I don't know, but I stumbled into note investing from that point and the rest is history. I mean, I've been, I've been hooked ever since.
0: What is it about note investing that made you hooked on that? And like, what is note investing for people out there who don't know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll just give kind of high level. And, uh, and, and so there's, there's obviously different, industries within note investing and different, you know, approaches and whatnot. But, but generally speaking, um, you have an individual that's looking to purchase a home and they go into a bank or kind con- connect with the lending institution and they apply for a mortgage. And if everything goes well through underwriting and uh, they get to the closing table, they're going to sign a promissory note, which is a promise to pay back the money given a certain set of terms. And they're also going to sign a mortgage or deed of trust, which is going to tie that promise to the property in the form of collateral. Now, 4% of all bank-originated um, mortgages go into default for some reason. Um, generally, it's uh, due to love or, or um, someone gets divorced. It's a health-related issue or um, someone loses their job. And so what what the financial institution will do over a period of time, two, three years, um, they will go and bundle these defaulted mortgages into tranches and sell them into the secondary mortgage market to other hedge funds and lenders. And it's essentially like the secondary mortgage market's essentially like a flea market. And, and so where there's buying and selling of, of debt. And so um, hedge funds like, the one I launched in 2013, will go and buy a mortgage, you know, 20, 30 cents on the dollar. And then um, you have kind of two approaches from that point. You can, you can exit through the homeowner or exit through the property. And so what I learned early on is exiting through the property is essentially taking back the property through foreclosure, repositioning, the property, selling it with seller financing, or just kind of recapitalizing, selling it off as an REO to third party. Um, what I found is that that's not that wasn't the long term play, and it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to do to displace families. So so what I did is I built the whole operation around treating the homeowner like gold, and treating them with compassion, and becoming a compassionate lender, doing everything possible because I purchased this loan at a discount. And, and trying to work with them to keep them in their home while, while, uh, you know, drumming up a, a payment plan that they can afford while making a profit for the company, of course, in the end. And, and so that's, that's really what our whole operations been been. Um, that's been the mission of our whole operation since.
0: Nice. That's actually a smart move too, because you know, like in note investing, you're basically taking on the liability now. For example, the lender chooses to sell it, and then now you're buying that, and you know they chose to sell it because it's a problem for them. They don't want to carry on the books. You're they're holding it. They're selling it to you on pennies on the dollar. You're getting the advantage to buy it, but now you have to figure out the strategy. You made a good choice too. Like you're saying, you you want to help the home, the current owners there, and trying to keep them in the home, which is great because they ran into some issues financially for some for mm-hmm. some reason, and you know they. They were paying, in the beginning, they were paying their mortgage and everything, but something happened, you know, it happens to everyone. So now you're helping them kind of recoup and setting up a payment structure, which is really cool because now they could go, okay, well, I'm not getting kicked out of my house. These guys are great. They're helping me stay Mm -hmm. in place, but at the same time, I need to pay them back too. I can't just default the whole thing throughout or but then at the same time some people can't afford it then you're Mm -hmm. going to have to carry that weight on okay how do i reposition this house i need to work with the right team do that work and then sell the property and then do it all over again so there's a lot of work to Mm -hmm. be done on that side too but like how is that compared to like you know is is note taking easier or is it just different from Mm -hmm. traditional real estate investing
1: so so what's interesting is there's a lot of similarities uh, it more, if I kind of went into our process, um there's so many similarities to rehabbing a property uh, with with rehabbing a mortgage. And so, um you're putting a lot of sweat into it, you're putting a lot of resources. Uh, there's a lot of legal involved. Um, so, so there's just, You need to build a whole operation and then throw in compliance and state licensing and federal licensing and just, you know, there's there's other complexities, too. Um, What I would say is that um, probably from a physical standpoint, um, you know, the mortgage side is is not taxing. You know, you can be you can do it out of Starbucks and um, we have a whole operation here. But um, but, you know, you can do it with a cell phone and a laptop if you if you're really kind of going at it. Um, but from a um, resource standpoint uh, with systems, um, it, you need to uh, be conscious of all the uh, complexities with compliance because you could really get caught poor, badly if you're not um, you know, following state regulations, if you're not following federal guidelines, if you're not using licensed um, parties like uh, either law firms or servicers. Um, so there's just a lot of nuances that could really catch you um badly as an investor so even in no investing that sounds like a
0: lot of liability like you know as an investor do i really want to take on all this work all the liability and all the regulations and just making sure everything's done right i think it just sounds like it from the high level like okay well buying and fixing houses investing borrowing, property short-term rentals sounds easier less liability less work you know
1: yeah. Um, you know, but from a scalability standpoint, you know, we buy, we just bought 394 mortgages, uh, three <laughs> nice. weeks ago. Um, you know, imagine, imagine buying 394 nice. single family properties, you have to rehab.
0: That's crazy. So,
1: um, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's work for about one and a half asset managers full time. So 394 properties. I mean, if you talk about from a property management perspective or, or, you know, let alone just, flipping and restoring and all that I mean you're talking about a lot of physical um effort involved
0: that's very true too and then you know yeah flipping 394 homes would be a crazy amount of work and you need teams everywhere and right now materials is high contractors are hard to find getting the house done mm-hmm. permitting time is long everything delays there too how does that work in like note investing like when you're investing notes it sounds like you you mentioned your scalability so you can scale way faster how do you manage 394 notes and like how do you systematize that to actually create return on investment for your investors?
1: Yeah, so um, actually, so we have two separate operations. We have a private hedge fund that's um, owned by myself and my partner mm-hmm. in full. That's, that's the hedge fund that um, purchases non-performing uh, mortgages. And then we also have the other side of the operation. It's another company entirely. That's a 506C Reg D income fund and that's bequest funds which is the income fund whereby we bring in investors so we have like two and, and those are only performing season mortgages in the income fund so nice. kind of two separate sides of the, of the coin of the uh, same coin um but in terms of you know managing the process um i wrote a book that uh, was you know exceeded my expectations in terms of people reading it because it was a bestseller nice. it's called note investing made easier and um and and it was really uh at a point in time where um i received a spiritual calling to share what i know and i was in church at the time and and so um before i was just kind of doing this in a cave you know with With my own little network and and whatnot and so i wrote the book it was like a how-to book and and what i talked about in the book is um you know the the significance of sourcing building the right relationships um you know honoring your word all these other you know good business practices And uh, and then also too, um, from a due diligence process, you need to systematize the whole process. You need to have all the resources in place whereby you're pulling credit and you're pulling credit reports in batch pools. You're you're pulling Pacer background checks with batch pools. You're ordering O and E, which is like title reports in batch pools, and and so and, and and then as you review all these reports and all these data, and you're doing triangulation of data, you do it all like an assembly line approach. And that's how you, that's how you can, you're able to scale within the note business. And then from an asset management perspective, um, you know, kick-ass database whereby it's customized exactly, you know, to fit your culture and, and, and your needs and also kind of mirror what's being done on due diligence and making sure you're pulling that data in. So, um, and then also to kind of training the asset managers so that, they have. They are compassionate and genuine, and they're giving these homeowners options, and and they're and they and they're speaking to these homeowners with, you know, with, uh, you know, with dignity and respect and all that, and so uh, just kind of putting all that together and managing it on a day daily basis is really where it's been for us.
0: Nice. So that takes a lot of work. For example, you need f- operations, you need finance, you need tech, you need some marketing and you need salespeople and support, a lot of support. And that's a, a whole different team. Like you have an organizational structure to handle this while you have the investment group too to actually create the return on investment for this and calculate the risks involved. How risky is no investing versus just traditional investing?
1: Like you know, I, I think Kiyosaki, you know, answered it well um, to that to that question in, in cash flow quadrant and, um, and, you know, how risky is the investor, you know, how risky is the person who's operating? It it just depends on, you know, how much they know, you know, how much, or, or how much they, you know, don't know, and they're not looking to know and, you know, kind of, so, so really it's, it's about, it's about, um, you know, someone's commitment. So if you're committed to the industry, if you're a student of the industry, if you are um, putting emphasis towards compliance, you're going to lower your risk. If you're putting emphasis towards due diligence, you're going to lower your risk because you're going to buy, be buying better. If you put emphasis towards sourcing and relationship building with the right sellers, then you're going to have more access to quality product and that, and that lowers your risk. So it really just ma- matters about the entrepreneur and how they're putting their business operations together in terms of how risky it is.
0: Nice. And then, you know, these are your, these notes are distressed mortgages in real estate. So like, when you're looking at these notes and the properties um you know at 394 places you're probably looking at different locations how do you guys you know analyze the risks involved for the city for the area for the property itself and like what kind of what kind of for investors what kind of returns are they seeing or what kind of things you can tell about like how the investment structure works when they ask you about notes versus syndications other funds and like which one should they invest in
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, as far as risk, what's interesting within the note space is that um, when when generally we have real estate um, folks that that come into the note space, they they look at it from the prism of of real estate. They wanna they wanna get like. I, you know, boots on the ground, they want to like, you know, how does the roof look, you know, uh, how old are the windows and, you know, they kind of go that route. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're buying mortgages, especially you're buying it at a discount, 20, 30 cents on the dollar, 40 cents in some cases, what you really want to know is um, you obviously want to understand title. So you want to understand your lien position you want to understand if your lien's valid you want to understand if the if the if the homeowner still owns the property hey let's start there um you know but you also want to place heavy emphasis on the borrower in their ability to pay you so so you know how does their credit look how does skip tracing look and then you're gonna go compile all this data together and make a determination. You can use like a, a scoring matrix or what have you to kind of make determinations. And, and so that's really how um, due diligence is done more than just, and you might get like a BPO, you might get um, uh, an AVM with um, you know all the algorithms kind of pulling FMVs together. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are buying, if let's say it's a $200,000 property, And you're buying a hundred and thirty thousand dollar mortgage for, let's say, fifty thousand dollars. To me, it doesn't matter as much as if that property's worth a buck eighty or two twenty. At the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm going to be covered. How I need to be covered, and and I really want to know: Are they going to be able to pay me?
0: Yeah, and especially if you're buying at you know twenty cents on the dollar, that's a huge uh, upside there. So even if you calculate the risk involved with it and taking that difference, you have a lot of room to. You know, hopefully do really good even if some properties fail at the same time and some will the percentage should actually be a lot higher so your risk and your gain has a lot more room to play with a lot more wiggle room right so like when you look at that numbers like you know how does it work for investors like if if people don't invest in a fund and you have you know good assets good notes into the investor
1: group how does that work yeah so um for for the for what I just said in terms mm-hmm. of scenario with 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. that's a private hedge fund. So we actually don't have any investors in the fund. Okay, it's just my partner that. and I that own that outright.
0: Nice. Um,
1: now, now as far as how Bequest works, um, so that is where we bring in investors. So BQuest is set up where, whereby um, the model is a little different. It's almost like an extension of the hedge fund in that um, we buy performing mortgages that had a moment in time where the the homeowner defaulted but got back on their feet with a loan modification or reinstated and they reseasoned the paper by making their payments on time so they got their job back they found love again something to that effect and and again they were a you know credit folks to begin with they just had a uh, you know an, an issue or an obstacle in life and who can't relate to that so um so we will go and buy those from third party hedge funds for 70 80 cents in the dollar into bequest and which allows us which equates to about a 12 13% yield which allows us to pay out our investors 9% annual pref and we pay that monthly so okay. so how it works is investors put in let's say 100,000 dollars and if 50k is the the minimum to come in you put in 100,000 dollars and you get $9,000 annually divided by 12. And that's your monthly payment that we will ACH into your account at the beginning of each month. So so that's how it works. So we monitor the collectability of that portfolio on a daily basis. And right now it sits at 96%. So 96 out of a hundred mortgages are paying on time as they need to. So as those payments come in, we in turn pay our investors, And so that collectability plus investment of value, those, those two metrics are everything to that fund
0: nice and that's a good number you know that percentage is really nice to hear that and then you know what makes me think about it when i look at a note versus like say a syndication fund the questions some people ask will be like well does a note get tax benefits like the other real estate assets do do they get um you know like for example you know mortgage pay down your tax benefits a capital Mm -hmm. appreciation um using cost segregation like you know reducing your taxes really quickly for those out there who want to know about cost segregation like how does that work on a note
1: yeah, so um not as favorably. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens is um you know we have um uh, we have a cap we have some capital gains uh, events that occur in the fund when we get payoffs. So mm-hmm. so what we do is we kind of pass those down to the investors so that the tax savings is generally um 25% of your income that you'll earn from bequest funds will be attributed to capital gains and in the K1 will Kind of spell it, spell that out. And then 75% will be considered ordinary income or interest income. So it's not, um, this is why a lot of people do this through self directed IRAs to kind of, you know, avoid the kind of tax um, issues. But the tax savings is not as favorable as with real estate.
0: Yeah, okay. and I would just say it's a different style of diversifying your portfolio. Then you can do some news, you mm-hmm. can do some funds, syndication. You got to figure out for each individual like what's the best thing you're looking for, tax savings benefits like that. But there's also different kinds of risk associated with mm-hmm. each group and different percentage numbers overall. Um, so you mentioned to you know we're not tax advisors, but you mentioned to yeah. like okay on a note, it, t- if someone pays down the note and like pays off the mortgage out of three hundred, let's call it three hundred uh, houses someone pays down, then you're actually getting a gain on that part of it because they paid you back?
1: Yeah. So we'll get a capital gain. And so the 9% PREF is <laughs> is fixed. There's no waterfall to the fund. So mm-hmm. so, um, But there's also no fees associated to the 9%. So just 9% mm-hmm. means 9%. When we do have a capital gains event with the fund and we do receive a payoff, what we do is we, we redeploy that capital to buy additional mortgages, which which lowers the investment to value for the portfolio. So currently, the portfolio sits at 62% investment to value. And that's because we buy these mortgages in at a discount, which um, makes it a very conservative play. So we're not, you know, there's plenty of guys and gals that'll give you 12%, they'll give you upside, they'll give you all. And that's great. Um, but, you know, there, there's always you know, some risk associated, you know, nothing's for free. Um, for us, we just want to be known as a very conservative, boring fund where you don't have to ever think about it. You just receive your money in monthly.
0: That's, that is nice, nice because you can get uh, consistency with that too. And if you have capital events throughout the, let's say period of five years, 10 years, then overall, even in the entire term, starting with a hundred K you're getting some pretty good numbers on that. And it's, it can sound boring, but the nice thing about it is cash flow. is nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about is uh, I've been a cash flow investor um, uh, for many years and and that's, that's, that's where my heart's at. I, my, my heart's at monthly income. You know, I can't speak to crypto and there's all these, I'm sure, wonderful investment opportunities out there. Um, they're above my pay grade and I just don't do anything for appreciation. Everything in my world is about what I can see in my hand at the end of the month nice
0: now what kind of risk would be associated with uh, going into notes for investors
1: yeah so as a business um, you know it's it's really a an interesting time um, there is um, uh, you know years years past I mean it was it was pretty easy to get into no- the note business you could go and buy a few notes and you could um, you know, be a novelist and and uh, just kind of learn as you as you go about and do, and uh, and and so those days are not are few and far between because of compliance. There's uh, a whole slew of regulation that's um, involved with note investing now. So if you if you're going to come into the industry, you know we welcome you, of course. You know there's lots of opportunity and it's a very lucrative industry, um, but you need to be prepared to scale quickly and you need to be paired, prepared to deploy capital towards compliance and uh keeping you out of trouble and do, doing it correctly i should say
0: yeah that's the hard part about any syndication funds notes um just raising money of other people's money then you have to be really in compliance follow all the like sec guidelines and everything with your in individual industries that's tough that's a lot of work to be involved but yeah it is it is lucrative it can be a really a lot of fun too, because you have the community, the culture, you're trying to build something. Like even in our syndications, like we are trying to build really good communities. when you're building, helping multifamily homes, you're trying to build a community and not just raise rents. You're trying to actually create something like a, you know, create a good area, create all the benefits, make them people want to stay, make the community better. And that's a lot of fun. It's kind of like, you know, building houses at a massive scale and creating your own little small pockets of communities.
1: And and you know, yeah, and that's well put. what i would also say uh you know best way to mitigate risk is is just to have a culture where you're treating the homeowners with compassion so if if every if every communication you have with the homeowner shows that you have their best interest in mind and shows that you're being compassionate and shows you're giving them options so they can select what's best for them and and if that if that you know comes off you know, very clearly, then that will mitigate risk. So in so many cases, um, it's when you know, you could get in trouble, you know, kind of saying the wrong thing or, or calling outside the hours you're supposed to be calling or doing something like that. That's when that's when you get in trouble. That's when a lot of people get in trouble. I should say. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, uh, people out there like slumlords, for example, who put bad rap to
0: the people who are actually trying to do good and trying to help and trying to figure out a balance a fair balance to to everyone then that's where yeah you're right being nice is way better than being mean and having to deal Mm -hmm. with it and when you're being mean people will fight back right and they'll fight hard and you create a lot more issues that way right why not you know treat everyone with good respect and try to figure out a balance to make this find a solution for everyone that you know that's fair and works but it's tough because there's some people out there who are trying to abuse the system on on both sides of the fence so i get that too and that's not fair for those people who are doing taking advantage of it
1: yeah, you know, we've been around the block, so um, you know, we we've we've purchased hundreds and hundreds of mortgages over the years, and uh, you know, and, and so we kind of sense out where some where someone's at, and um, and and so what if we have if we have an issue if we have a difficult individual who just just doesn't want to play ball, then um, you know, we'll we'll just kind of um actually leave the community. we we'll, we'll, we won't. Do much in the form of communication. We'll let our attorney kind of handle that, mm-hmm. uh, soup to nuts, just to make sure that we're not doing anything out of compliance. We're we're always very conscious of being in compliance with.
0: It's nice. When you started doing note investing, like when you first first started, like what were the things you were looking up and trying to find and learn about, and what did you learn after, even after the first year? What did you learn was actually the best way to do it, and how would you redo it again?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, I did it through the eyes of a real estate investor initially, and I was looking, at, you know, I was um, just focused on the property, and I actually bought ten notes in Ohio as my first um, purchase, and I drove to Ohio and I went and saw the properties, and I just kind of, um, you know, did my due diligence uh, on the properties themselves, and I really fell flat. Um, in, in that, um, because I placed no emphasis on, on the homeowner and their ability to pay me. So what happened is when you don't do that, then you get what you're focused on. And that is the property. And, and in this case, you know, I got back properties and they had back taxes and, and, uh, they didn't sell for what they, what I thought they were worth at the auction and, and, uh, you know, a whole host of other complications, city, um, city violations, um, Shaker Heights, Ohio, uh, you know, outside Cleveland, they were mowing my lawn for 250 bucks a mow. And I didn't even know. And they were doing that for months. And, and then, and then, you know, and then I had to resell the property and they had to do, they, they do actual inspections of the property and they give you punch list items. You have to correct before selling the property. And that's the city. I mean, that's not even like, wow. you know, so it's, it's all these bu- buggy, you know, all these buggy nuances. And um, so that was my first year. My first year was just getting kicked in, in, in the butt with, in every which way. Um, but thank God that I persevered and I stuck with it. And I think what did it for me is on a few of those mortgages, I got a loan modification. In one case, someone paid me half of what was owed. I for, I think it was like 50,000. They paid me half money down. And then I did a mod for the other half, nice. and so I kind of saw the light, and I'm like, "Wow, this is where it's at!" You know, get a down payment, get cash flow, um, and and go out and buy more notes. Nice. Hey, so that's how we can scale notes. that. What's once that? you
0: started, once you started getting the, the money flowing in, you got down payment or like half down, then you saw the difference of your equity right there. And then having the consistency come in from the mortgage pay down and yeah. you had the ability to take that money and re, re utilize it and reinvest and scale it even further. So as you kept doing it, you kept scaling the numbers up.
1: Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Like you think now, or oh, I think now, you know, I was, I was new and I was, I was naive in many ways. Um, I, you know, I still have a lot to learn now. Uh, for that matter. But, um, you know, you look at banks, right? They prefer to give you a 15-year mortgage over a 30-year mortgage. Why? Because the velocity of money, right? They're getting yep. their cash in quicker and able to uh, go redeploy it on another opportunity. Plus, um, you're paying down, you're, you're, you're buying them equity faster at a faster rate too. So giving them a better cushion.
0: Nice. That's smart. Yeah. Like, why not copy the banks and what the the top people are doing, the institutional investors are doing, and do it at a, a smaller scale in the beginning, right? As you build up to be their level, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, just follow the best things they're doing, the best devices, and see how they're taking action. But yeah, you're right. 15 year is, is great for them, and a 30 year, you know, versus 30 year, because who wants to wait 30, 40 years for their money back, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it usually turns around in, in seven years, and um, and, and that's the beauty is when you when you build, it's a portfolio game. Um, so we buy nationwide, and to us, if it takes us a few years to work something out, or takes us a few months, you know, we're we're in it for the long run. And uh, right now, I mean, when you get to a point where where everything, when you get to a point where your portfolio is big enough, you've been doing this long enough, it seems like every day you're getting a payoff of some kind. Or, nice. or some huge down payment or whatever. So it kind of all works itself out.
0: And w- when you first started note investing, like how much money do, does a person need to even start with and how do they even buy their first note?
1: Yeah. So when I first started, um, my first purchase was, uh, 240 K, uh, mm-hmm. to buy the 10, 10 mortgages that I purchased. Um, right now, um, You know, I have like two ways of two schools of thought on that. Um, I think that um, I think that it depends on how much time and commitment you can place in it and how much you're going to ramp up your education. That'll that'll lessen the amount of money that you have to put out. Uh, Also, too, if you really kind of build yourself in to be um, focused on deal flow generation and you're making calls and building the relationships that's also going to, um, shorten your learning curve and also shorten the, it's going to lessen the amount of capital you're going to have to come with. So, so in other words, if you're known as someone who can drum up deal flow, then money's going to kind of find you and, and you know, the, the clouds will part, so to speak. But if you're coming in and you're not really good at sourcing and you're trying to figure it all out, I mean, you you need, um, pricing's gone up and there's less inventory on the retail level nothing different than real estate is seeing right now. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe a hundred thousand, but if you had a hundred thousand dollars, if you had a hundred thousand dollars, I would spend like half of that on mentorship, education, going to conferences, reading as many books as you can, and, and then putting to work the other 50, I would, I would kind of do it that way and that's hard too
0: because you know like any any investor starting with that money even though it's the investment to education it's hard to like let it go even though we know mentorship and coaching is really valuable and really valid because you're sure taking experiences and accelerating it really quickly and yeah. getting getting rid of the failure points up front but that initial push to say hey i'm going to use this to reinvest in myself and the belief of investing in yourself taking the risk is hard for anyone at any at any price point
1: yeah that is a part of it. Mm-hmm. The price of not doing it. The price of not doing mentorship. The price mm-hmm. of um, the price Even of getting years. sued. <laughs> but the price of getting sued because you did something out of compliance. Yeah. Uh, the price of uh, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a price every which way.
0: There is. Yeah. It's for example, like
1: okay, if it, I can make you a, a great agent
0: sales and double your business in one year, or you can go do your own way and take two to five years, and you know the cost of time is and the money for that two to five years is a lot different, right? It's just initial push to let it go and do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, time, time's a killer. Um, you know, no matter what business you're, you're going to operate in, I mean, you need to work with speed because the there's, there's going to be faster people kind of run in circles around you, people that have been running for many years prior to your, you know, you being in existence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta catch up to them.
0: And when you start doing inv- uh, notes, like where do you even buy notes? at? like as a, as a new, a new note investor, where would you even go to buy a note?
1: Yeah, So, um, you know, where we buy, you know, we buy with peer hedge funds. So these are people we have deep rooted relationships with. We've spent millions of dollars with them over the course of years. And so we know each other pretty well. And and so um, but for someone new kind of coming on the scene, Mm -hmm. there's paper stack. um, There is which is an online uh, portal marketplace portal. Um, uh, what I would suggest is kind of go to some of the note conferences and see if you can find some individuals that are looking to sell off notes. Um, But on the retail level, you have to kind of be careful because if you have someone that knows what they're doing and they're selling off a few notes to you who don't, you don't, and you don't know what you're doing, then, (laughs) you know, then then you don't know what you don't know. And that could be very costly too. So, so um, you know, what I would just recommend is not focus on, on getting into the action in terms of buying a note right away, you need to f- f- have a bunch of milestones uh, for yourself, goals for yourself on getting to know the right people on learning that are learning and building your processes, even though you don't really know what they are, just, just read books on it. Um, yeah, you know, I've written four books on this, on this yes. industry. So, so I'm like, I'm all in and uh, <laughs> I am, I am uh, very passionate about it. And so, um, read as many books as you can and just build your systems to the best of your ability, go to conferences and just be, um, you know, see if you can help people, see if you can, in, in a protege way, find a mentor, pay a mentor. That's the thing is with mentorship. It's interesting. And I used to mentor in the space and I, I don't train right now, but, um, but, uh, when I did, uh, what I always found interesting is that, um, is that the the mentorships that come free usually are the mentorships you don't want? And so my first mentor is Marty Granoff, and when I came in the space and I, how I paid him was deal flow. I actually brought him three lucrative deals, and nice. he kind of mentored me along the way as a result. So you got to bring something, you know, either either you know you go out hunting and you kill something, bring it back to your mentor, or you pay them money or something like that. That, I, completely,
0: I, I completely agree and I think the yeah the fastest way it has always been mentorship and learning hands-on and getting your hands dirty and the one thing you talked about too is like doing the education up front you don't want to do it while you're actually you know live like you quit your full time you quit your full-time job and now you're going to go and you don't know anything yeah. don't do that make sure yeah. you spend a year or two years even though you think it's slower. and I know everyone everyone wants instant gratification but that's not real right it's not that easy, and really taking the time and education. And say, hey, I have my full time job. I'm gonna do a side hustle, learn about notes, notes, and get the right mentors. I'll go work mm-hmm. for free and be a protege and do everything they need and help yeah. them any way I can. Provide massive value, and hopefully they'll coach you. You can you know pay them to help coach mentorship, and at the same time learn it and you know start looking at deals. I think a lot of like a lot of agents, a lot of um, investors, they don't always want to go do all the work firsthand and take a a year they want that instant result and Mm -hmm. if they do it that way it's going to be super hard without you know actually learning it and being really educated because when i I look at for example when i look at um paper stack i see all these great deals like wow this is cool if i really sat there and digged in and looked at everything and try to learn how to learn how to analyze it for example if i was not an investor Mm -hmm. and see what makes sense and then talk to people like you said network talk to people get to know what they're doing see what they're looking at see if they're even buying these like if it's so good deal why aren't they buying it right I got to look deeper into it now and figure out why aren't they buying it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can always ask that question. Um, but with that said, you know, we've bought loans from people that know what they're doing and they just miss something. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: and two, the other thing too, is that, um, you just never know when something's going to pop, right. Uh, you know, someone, someone who's kind of given you a rough way to go for a few years. Um, but yet one day they got to sell their home because they're retiring and doing something else. So, You're going to get full payoff um i'll I'll say one last thing to the to the um, mentorship mentorship um Mm -hmm. tip if you will because i'm very passionate about education and mentorship and everything else i'm a real advocate for it um that that um you will uh um if if you're not going to spend adequate time up front in education and building your systems and kind of finding yourself you know know thyself as socrates says then, then you're going to assume someone else's identity and someone else's business model because you're not going to know enough for yourself or you're not going to have enough confidence in what you do and what you're about, where you're going to kind of grow this for yourself. And that only lasts so long when you're kind of living someone else's model or someone else's dream. And you see this on social media like all the time, right? People are like, they think because they're commenting on your what you're doing like they're somehow affiliated to what your success is or something like that and uh, but the more you spend on education the more you f- you're really forming your own identity in the subconscious and that's going to go a long way for sustainability
0: yeah and I think uh even like Warren Buffett he talks about like you know spending money educating yourself like really getting proper education to get there and when I look at it too like for example in real estate investing not everyone um has mentorship and does coaching mentorship and learns about it but when you think about like doctors and professional athletes don't they all have coaches don't they all get mentored don't Mm -hmm. they have a lot of a lot a lot of guidance and like a lot of failures throughout but they're always being watched upon to really succeed really well but in real estate investing even in stock investing who's really watching out for you and helping you watch for the pitfalls that you haven't seen like what you don't know is what you don't know right
1: yeah yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, it's significant. and uh, you know it's interesting when you mentioned the stock market because that's really where um, you know when we launch BQuest funds as as the boring fund, as I call it, um, you know we we talk to people. I talk to investors every day, I'm sure you do too in your in your line of work with all the syndication and everything and and you, you we find like two types of people every day we talk to two types of people. They either have a lot of money parked. And they're scared, or they're waiting for something. I don't know, <laughs> or they got like everything, you know, all in in the stock market, and and, beca- and it's blowing up and doing so well and everything else. And so um, we we kind of look at ourselves like stress free investing. So if you want, you know, inflation is going to crush your parked money. And, and, and anxiety is going to crush you mentally and spiritually in the stock market, cause you're going to be neurotically looking at your phone all day. Yeah. I ask investors every day, like every, everybody I talk to, I'm like, they're like, oh, I'm all in, in the stock market it's blowing up. I'm doing well. Great. How often are you looking at your phone to see what your portfolio is doing?
0: Every minute. All right. the day,
1: and I'm like, wow. I'm like, that must be a l- very stressful. And then if they're truthful, you know they're gonna be like, yeah, it's it's taxing. I'm like, you know what, brother? You know this doesn't have to be that way. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you thirty percent. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not your guy that way. But I'm not I'm also not gonna be part of your heart attack either.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I would get a big heart attack looking at that going up and down. Like, okay, well, <laughs> stocks. Like, I don't really personally invest in a lot of stocks because, like, I don't want to deal with the headache. I have I'm busy doing all my other stuff, and I'm looking for passive financial freedom with mm-hmm. without stress you know and like okay well i see what you guys are doing look at your numbers and I'm, I'm even asking them even after the fact of your numbers let's go for a five-year run what's the real number after five years and did you get any dividends tax benefits write-off pay downs you go no yeah. let's divide your number in half what was it really well thirty 30 i'm like no it's not right and then after the fact you're like oh, okay well it's comparable but is, is it's fun i'm like yeah high risk and fun but unless you IPO something really big, then great. Yeah. If, if not, how is that really comparative to real estate investing notes and everything else? Well, those are boring, right? You know?
1: Yeah. So- and, and it's, it's interesting too, because the whole financial institution is really, is really not looking after you. They're, they're looking after what they can get from you and, <laughs> and in terms of fees and, you know, whether it's the brokerage house or the financial advisor, like they're all fee based so they're all, they're what it, it's not performance based and and so um yeah. that's that's a whole other conversation
0: and it's, it's, it's a tough one too and i talk to people about it i'm like it's your choice i've diversify all you want but like at least take a look at these and consider it notes and uh, syndications funds and see what the difference is and the benefits are and if it makes sense for you take a look at it right
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: we, we get we get it you know so that's the yeah. tough part about it so, you know, in note investing, like, what do you look at when you look at a note or even a portfolio of notes? You mentioned some things like, you know, the housing, the, um, the AVMs, the properties, the, the, uh, the clientele, the owners, and like, how can they pay? What are some major red flags you see right off the bat when you're taking a look at, at a note?
1: Yeah, so uh, back taxes. You know, that if they excellent. own a lot, if there's a tax lien certificate, so if they're not paying their property taxes, they're not paying uh, their other liens, they're not paying their homeowners insurance, they're not paying a lot. They're probably not cutting their lawn on <laughs> regularly. You know, so so uh, you know, there's a whole host of things that that's going to bring you down. A, um, that's a red flag right there. Uh, the other so, thing is like on the credit report, if mm-hmm. if they are um, hyper consumers and they're not paying anybody. You know, it's like blood from a rock, right? Uh, You know, they're not, you know, they're going to take you down a long road. But if you so happen to be the one debt that they just forgot to pay, you know, when they got back on their feet, then that's good, right? So you kind of look at that flag as well. Um, If they're in prison, they're probably not going to loan mod with you. (laughs) And (laughs) and so, so like skip tracing and um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, it's, it's so funny because we, we kind of see, um we kind of see if the house is burnt down, you know, when you get the BPO back and it's a vacant lot um, you know, we've seen that too. Uh, We've seen crime scene tape on the pictures Um, you know, that's never good. Um, Yeah. There's, the more you do, the more you kind of have a sense for it. Nice. And then when when you look at portfolio, uh,
0: sorry, when you look at a portfolio, are you able to look at an individual level and, and at at a whole of all the, all the notes?
1: So, you know, occasionally you're going to get some opportunities where you get to cherry pick and those, those used to be more prevalent in the space mm-hmm. when there was more of a retail market for notes. Um, but right now it's with our trading partners. I mean, you're, you're taking, you're taking mixed bags yeah. now. So, uh, you just have to price everything accordingly, build pricing matrices so that you're kind of staying consistent with your mm-hmm. buying practices.
0: Okay, so if you buy a portfolio right now, today's market, and you're getting a little bit cherry picked, can you see it at, at a high level? You see the portfolio, but at, a, at an individual macro level or micro level, are you able to like, um, kind of figure out the percentages based upon like what you see in the, in the performance and say, okay, well, based on this, I'm going to bid 70% or 20 cents, 30 cents, $40,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kind of see it before you buy the whole thing, right? You see a little more detail about the individuals inside.
1: Yeah, um, so you know uh, first and foremost, we want to know uh, we buy a lot of junior liens okay. because the quality of the, of the property is generally better um, than seniors. There's, uh, the senior mortgages that trade in the secondary mortgage market generally are lower fair market value properties. So, um, they're more in rural, uh, rural or, um, urban areas and, uh, and, in blighted neighborhoods and whatnot. But on the junior lien front, you know, our, our average fair market value is $311,000. So these are good properties in HOA communities. And, and so, um, you know, we look at, uh, we want to know that they're paying their other liens. That's that's very important um, because that shows that there's emotional equity. They want to stay in their home. And that's the other thing that's really positive about um, the note industry is a lot of these homes, we, a lot of these mortgages we buy are on owner occupied residential properties. So these people are raising their families there. And, um, and especially during COVID where people are home more, they're going to they're gonna be more apt to pay you.
0: Nice. Yeah, I agree. Because which homeowner wants to have their family kicked out of their own home that they own but couldn't pay for some reason or another, right? Mm-hmm. And they probably, took, they probably did a lot of work as a homeowner. You probably have a lot of care into it too. You want, you really put in the value uh, for the most part. Yeah. What, what kind of systems and technology do you use to kind of manage note investing? And in, even in the beginning, in the, even now, like how did you scale your systems and businesses? Like what products did you use or what kind of um, types of
1: products did you use in,
0: in the beginning and even today?
1: Products like um, like 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 software CRMs or like how do you manage notes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I used uh, HubSpot, you know, out of the gate. Um, You know, some there's some free CRMs. We we customize Podio um, Mm -hmm. also too, and that's been that's been a great asset. From a, a you can use it as a customer relations management tool, but also as an asset management tool as well um right now we're customizing hubspot as well from more of a investor relations perspective yeah. um you know we've we've upgraded to a dialer system nice. um, so that's that's good that that allows us to get more calls in to the homeowners um gosh i mean we're you know we're with um credco we can pull credit we're with um you know pro title usa and some other vendors that we pull title with um skip tracing we do there's you can use lexus nexus uh you can use tlo and there's a few others
0: yeah it's funny it reminds me of a lot of work because even in sales wise we use skip use tracing tools you use serums you do all those things and then as you think about it like how many systems do you actually need to run your business but as an individual it's a lot it's really a, a lot harder because you're trying to learn all these things especially as a newer investor or a newer uh, non-tech savvy person <laughs> and you wanna learn all these systems, it gets tough, right? But if you're seasoned in tech first, and then you start building mm-hmm. this out and you think about scaling a business, because you know a lot of people just think of an individual level, but really in investing, you gotta learn how to scale the business, like get VAs, utilize tech, mm-hmm. utilize systems, utilize dialers, utilize um, skip tracing, and like make a bunch of calls to get what you want and help the right people, right? And that's a lot yes. of work. And people don't realize the work involved. They just say, like, for example, even when you listen to like Robert Kiyosaki, oh, that sounds easy. Sounds like a lot of fun a lot of money
1: but when you actually yeah. dig
0: into it it's a lot of work
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so it's a lot of work and uh you know also too what there's also similarities between um, the fix and flip industry with the node investing business too because we have a lot of people that come into our industry and what they do is they they will they're they will source deal flow source 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 mm-hmm. and then they'll get a few notes and then they'll cut off the sourcing and could become an operator and and go and work out the the loans as an asset manager and then once those loans work out then they kick in the sourcing again and so same thing with fix and flip right and then so it's that whole roller coaster ride of existence but you need to be working each phase of the industry sourcing due diligence asset management and then portfolio management needs to be you need to be hitting on all those phases um simultaneously
0: exactly and when you think about that it's like okay well going from a corporate job for example a tech job or a corporate job and now you, you actually need to be an entrepreneur you got to build a business you got to run operations you got to run finance legal sales marketing tech and support and then it's like wow that's a lot of work i didn't think i need to get that level i'm just investing <laughs> in notes or i'm just investing in a fix and flow yeah well, if, you're, if you're scaling your business and trying to make it a full-time business and actually create passive income generational wealth you know, that's one way to do it. That's why I actually talk about, like, active investing versus passive. I'm like, you know, as yeah. an active investor and as a passive investor, what do you really want to do? You want time back? Let mm-hmm. the people who, who are already doing it for years, let them take care of it. Find the yeah. right operators and then trust in them that they're going to help you invest as well and try to make smart moves and diversify as much as you want. Look at the benefits to, and the risk and see if it makes sense. But when people mm-hmm. talk to me about going active, I'm like, you, you, you really understand how much work it is involved to, to
1: do what we do every yeah. day
0: and to build systems, you know. But either way,
1: you need discipline. Uh, Discipline, That's the end of the day. You know, at the end of the day, discipline, if there's any word that I would kind of throw out there, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to be an active, if you're going to be, if you work for active income and you want to invest passively, then you need to be well disciplined so that you're minimizing your expenses. You are maximizing, you know, what you can earn in your current position or, or current company that you're, receiving your active income. So you'll have more money to deploy on the passive front. And and if you're an operator, you need to be disciplined, you know, without a question. And that's a really good word,
0: uh, discipline and execution because discipline wise, you think about like NBA basketball player, like Steph Curry, is he disciplined? Hell yeah, probably one of the best, most disciplined person, right? And Michael Jordan, because they really specifically narrow down even the millimeter of you know the way they shoot and score and they do it thousands and thousands of times Mm -hmm. before they in before they really go out, right? But as investors, we don't all do that and we're not disciplined enough to really be diligent about exactly your goal, your targets, and what you're doing and the discipline to make it happen, the execution behind it. Like everyone's tired, everyone has family, there's COVID out there. So many yeah. issues, but if you're if you're not disciplined, then how do you really become a successful investor to create that financial freedom model where you're yeah. trading your active uh, now money versus your you know f- future money, right?
1: Since we're since we're on the Robert Kiyosaki kick, <laughs> I'm going to throw out out of Rich Dad. He's like, you're going to pay you're going to pay the price at some point, whether it's early in life or later mm-hmm. in life, and you know, no disrespect to you know someone who's much older working at Walmart or something like that. But many, many folks, they don't want to be working at the ages they're working. And, um, and, and so, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing anyone. Mm-hmm. I'm being very respectful, but it may be something that they wish they could have done differently when they were younger. And, and, um, you know, so on put in the work when you're younger, if you can, and, and you'll have a better, you know, life down the road
0: exactly and i think that comes back down to like you know even like will smith says and those they're trying to create financial literacy like in in elementary middle high school there's not that much financial literacy in real life financial literacy and that's the yeah. problem too and i'm like even for me i'm teaching my baby my five-year-old i'm teaching them about financial literacy i'm like hey yeah here trade trade candy trade whatever here's money here's how it works and here's what you can do with that money here's how much it's worth you want to buy a toy? this costs ten dollars this costs a hundred dollars how much yeah. time it takes you to get that to get that wow i didn't know that right i'm like yeah it, take, it makes sense you want to invest start investing with me in syndication and start investing and stuff like that. But really how that generational money works and creating that financial freedom is different because, you know, why, why do we work so hard in our day to day life? Right. How do we make it better and get more time back to enjoy life? Cause we only have one life to live. What are we doing to do that? And I think it comes down to education.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A- amen to that. <laughs> um, we have a chore, you know, I have four children, nine nice. to three, and uh, we have a chore chart. Um, they do chores. Um, we have everyone has a ledger, so they understand, you know, the money coming in and, you know, we go to the store and they're asking, you know, how much is this? And, and they're saying, are you paying for it or am I paying for it? And yeah, it's great to hear that kind of way of thinking.
0: I I like what you're doing too. You said a ledger too, and that's really cool. Especially a nine-year-old, three-year-old, they'll they'll comprehend it really well. And the more you're teaching them now about it and making them earn it, for example, you want to buy an iPad. Okay, great. You need like, um, 500 hours for example right dollar an hour (laughs) yeah you know but like okay well what does that take what does that actually look like well if you you know clean the floor did, did the laundry did this and this each one has a different value system and that value translates to actual money right that you translate as a parent to give it to them but they when they look at it they start understanding wow things in life are different based on yeah. the amount of work effort and results that you're driven to get and by doing that you realize okay well if i did this and this and this i think it's easier for me i'm faster at. It. i'm better at it i can do this more efficiently and that can get my toy faster why don't i do that dad you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's, that's yeah. kind of cool i saw that before too i'm like wow this parent who did it on a pinterest that's really smart of yeah. that person to teach some financial literacy at, at such a young age. They had a whole scoreboard. And each kid had a, a, a set too, regardless of age. Some uh-huh. of the younger kids were beating the older ones because they had more time. It was oh, time. It wasn't because <laughs> the other one had education. School yeah. can work first, but then the other one had more time. So they started ramping it up. I'm like, wow, that's a smart little kid.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I love to see that financial literacy in, in young, young children. And and um, what's, what's very unfortunate is, is most adults need that. Yeah. now like in you know their 40s 50s
0: and the hard part about that is trust like you know when they talk to someone and say hey i need help but who do they trust because is everyone trying to sell me because i don't know and that's a yeah. part of like what I tell people is like really go ask a lot of people, don't ask one person and talk to a lot of different people. Hopefully, you'll find a balance and you'll find people you trust, and there should be similarities of what they're saying. And then you take it with the own grain of salt. Do your own research and figure mm-hmm. out what's best for you. And then try a little bit at time. Don't go through yeah. hundreds of thousands in with, without knowing. You can start at the minimum and start investing more as you feel comfortable with that
1: operator. Like yeah, need to
0: earn trust every day.
1: I met I met a guy yesterday um, that I know he manages a social club here in Sarasota and he he did something brilliant. He sold his home. He he was renter six years ago, bought a home, sold it yesterday, sold it two days ago, netted 500K and then took his family and rented out a small house so that he can go and, and do something with the 500K. And then he was asking me what he should do. And uh, I I said, do not put in the stock market there's going to be a number of people that are going to have their hands out. Financial advisors. Don't, don't, the, the, this is what, this is what I recommend you do. And and I told them I said, don't even invest in my fund. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the thing is like, you shouldn't be listening to anyone right now. You should be. So I gave him flow quadrant. Nice. I'm like, read this book. Uh, that should be the first step in focusing on educating your mind so that when you do make the right choice, whatever choice that is, It'll be because you fully understand the opportunity and the risk involved and what the returns are in your financial houses in order where you're going to really grow that money.
0: Nice. I appreciate that too, because that's the right, for me, that's the right move to like really understand what you want first, your goals first, before we say, Hey, take we'll, we'll take your money. No, I don't want your yeah. money. I want you to understand what you're doing. And if it makes sense to you, then we'll take your money to help you. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If he comes back and he determines, you know, we're the best fit uh, for mm-hmm. him because, um, and, and you understand this working with investors, it's gotta be a fit. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's people we've said, you know, we don't, we don't need your money like yeah. at this point of where I'm at. I don't need your hundred K yeah and and with the drama you know and yeah like you know not worth
0: it it to us you know yeah we don't want to buy into headache either either right we want to make sure all of our investors are protected everyone's involved Mm -hmm. because they want to be involved and we don't want to say hey you're coming in now we're just trying to sell you that doesn't make sense to any of us in our investor group so hopefully other people think like that you know but always yeah invest in your education and figure out what's best for themselves Absolutely. One last, one last question before we end, wrap up. Mm-hmm. How did you write these books and then, like, how did it become bestsellers? What, what do you think the key traits are that people wanted to read your book? Like, you know, and what made it, like, you know, you know, unexpectedly for yourself, even for me? Like, wow, you can, you know, hit a bestseller. That's so cool because you're just sharing your expertise, your wisdom, and your values.
1: Thank you. Um, so, so, I have freedom of time. I, I have a little bit less now that because the, <laughs> the fund's been growing so rapidly. But yeah. but there was a point where you know, like a a stretch of time where it's just I had notes. These notes are pain, you know. I either it's all passive. Um, so I was able to kind of take large blocks of time, weeks, months away from everything and just go and put put down what I know on paper. But what what um made them popular is that I hit on I hit on the nerve that um, whereby there's a lot of people in this country that that see the warning signs of, of the direction that they're headed in, and they realize that um, they only have so much time to go and and build out additional streams of income, or to you know take more um, control over their financial future. And so, whether you're an entrepreneur, born and bred entrepreneur, or you're someone that says. I need to be an entrepreneur or I'm going to be eating dog food. And, and so these people that have, are starting to see a se- have a sense of urgency. These are the people that picked up my book and they're like, I'm not only going to tell you about the note industry and, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you about the note industry and how wonderful it is for me. No. And I'm on the beach every day and all that nonsense, but I'm going to tell you how to set up a note business for yourself. And I'm going to kind of walk you through my systems and, and my mindset and everything else.
0: Nice. Congrats on writing four books and becoming a bestseller. That's a, okay. one of the best amazing things to do. And one thing I like about that, too, is if you think about it, too, I think I forgot who said it, but basically you're creating a generational legacy because what happens is these books can't be read by your kids, your future grandkids, and and so on forever, right? And that value is so important. Even for me, like when I do this podcast, I hope one day my kids listen to this and their mm-hmm. kids listen to it and realize, hey, we try to provide massive value to the global global people out there and like really try to provide education firsthand and really find out the truth about the real estate part of it and how to really invest and that's like yeah. forever ingrained and in, hopefully this goes for hundreds of years you know one day right that'd
1: be cool yeah it's funny like our industry you know is considered an alternative investment into the <laughs> stock market but real estate mortgages lending has been around centuries Prior to the stock market ever being a thought in someone's mind, yeah. and so um, I, I suspect it will be around you know centuries beyond today. I agree, and I, I like I like how they use
0: the word alternative, you know, because it's not theirs; it's ours. Oh yeah, it's
1: it's total, yeah, it's total disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: that's funny. All right. Thank you so much for being on our show today. I'm so glad to have you here, Martin, and really share the experience of uh, note investing and really help educating. Uh, how do people reach out to you? How do they learn more about the books you have, and then how do they learn more about investing in notes?
1: Sure. I I actually mistakenly have my email on here. I probably should have put my name, but yeah, Martin Martin at bqfunds.com. Um, you know, shoot me an email. Uh, I'll send you a free ebook. Um, you know, we connect. Ask me any question you you want. I, I, it's not about doesn't have to be about the fund you can just ask me a node investing question in general and and i'll be happy to respond and and uh, connect
0: perfect thank you so much i really appreciate it It was really educational learning more about notes how that works and really appreciate your insights on that because you know we really want to help people understand all different kinds of avenues and which one's best for them that's all we were trying to do out there um yes. for, for everyone out there be sure to check out our uh, podcast at the truth about real estate on apple and everywhere else and we'll see you guys in the next one have a great day
1: Thank you.